Welcome, everyone. All right. So welcome, everyone, to this week's edition of the Commercial Real Estate 101 Meetup Group. Uh, for those of you guys who are tuning in for the first time, we actually started this group back in mid-2020 uh, in response to COVID. Um, and ever since then, we've just been kind of putting on events every other week uh, that brings in speakers from all across the country to talk about a variety of different commercial real estate topics. And today we have a friend of mine, awesome person, was actually my CCIM instructor, uh, when I took the 102 course, uh, which I know we'll we'll kind of touch on some of the concepts discussed in that class today, but uh, Bo Barron, uh, he's located out in o Owensboro, Kentucky, uh, just a stone's throw away from me. So uh, welcome to the show, man. Uh, thank you. Excuse me. <clears throat> Got all choked up there, man. Choked up. <laughs> Getting all emotional. By the end of it, it's like a therapy session, right? We're gonna yeah, that's uh... right. That's right. It's that's good to awesome. see you, man. Thanks for having oh, me on here. Absolutely. I'm honored to have you. And, you know, we're really excited about discussing this because I'm, I mean, and for those of you guys who are tuning in, I'm actually working on getting my designation, uh, hopefully in the springtime. That's kind of my, my goal as of right now. I actually was working on my packet uh, yesterday. And so I, I have most of the stuff that I need to get done, done. I just have to take care of one or two more items and then I should be ready to submit my packet by the end of the year. But Again, it, it's a process, and I know we'll dive kind of into it a little bit later. But to start out, what I'd like to do is, you know, tell tell us a little bit more about yourself. You know, tell us a little bit about your background, even prior to real estate, and then getting into real estate. Yeah, so I'm from a commercial real estate family. In fact, I grew up with a mom who owned a Century Twenty One office, and my dad, when I was younger, built homes. It was a company that my grandfather started way back in the '50s, and when I was in my early teens, my dad stopped building and transitioned into commercial development. I should say he stopped building homes, transitioned into commercial development, and then finally more into commercial brokerage. So I kind of grew up in this environment and uh, wasn't interested. Went to college at Murray State University, uh, just about failed out of there, and then enlisted into the Marine Corps. And so I spent five years in the Marines. When I got out, I started working with my dad the next day. Never thought I would, but something about boot camp that makes uh, family and home look very appealing. So I uh, moved back here, started working with my dad. That was the end of 04. And the first thing he did was he put me in a one-on-one class. Matter of fact, he made me submit my resume uh, when I was getting out of, um, excuse me, let me turn my phone off here. I apologize. Yeah, no worries. He made me apply to work. I had to create a resume, uh, which I'd never had to do before. And one of the conditions of my employment was I had to get my CCM designation in four years. So before I had my license, before I knew anything about real estate, other than just what you pick up when your parents are in it, growing up, uh, I was in a, my, my first CCIM course, which was a fantastic thing for him to to make me do, um, and, and we can talk about a little bit more about that experience. But since then, uh, I bought him out a couple years ago, so he still comes in and hangs out. But we've got a commercial real estate brokerage here in Owensboro. We serve Western Kentucky and mainly the Owensboro area. And we also own some properties. So we've got some strip centers, a couple office buildings, warehouse. Um, we've got three self-storage facilities. That's kind of a core part of our business. And then me and three, uh, me and two other guys and some support staff are our brokerage uh, business. And then we do some uh, group investment deals. 
So some syndications, we don't do them. Like if you follow all those syndicator guys on TikTok and Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff, uh, we don't do it like that. We do it just very simply. And uh, the goal is to help people invest in things they couldn't pull off um, on their own and make them money. And, and so that, that's kind of a, kind of a quick overview of our business and my background, but I've been in the business since the end of 04, close to 18 years. And this is by far the best industry I can imagine. And, uh, lo love it. Absolutely love it. I get up in the morning and I can't wait to go to work. And, uh, and when I get done working, I can't wait to go home. So I, I've got a blessed life. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. And, and, and in addition to that, I, I think it's good to, to specify Bo was actually an instructor with the CCIM Institute as well. Uh, that's actually how we met. Um, yeah, you know, he's, right. he's not too far away from me, but, uh, you know, I, I hadn't really ventured out to Owensboro too much. Uh, but you know, he was, a he was an instructor for me and that's actually how I met him. And ever since then we've been kept in contact and periodically we call each other and, you know, just catch up. And he, I've even had a deal I've been looking at and I throw it out to him, kind of get his advice. And so he's been a really good resource, uh, for me. And I know, you know, looking forward to seeing what we do together, uh, long-term, but, um, one thing I'm kind of, go ahead. I'm sorry. I when, when I took my first CCIM course, I was watching those instructors and I was thinking, these guys are rock stars. I want to be one of them when I grow up. And then it took until 2019 to where I was, for the first time I was in a place where I, it made sense for me to try to do it. And they don't open it up very often for new instructors. And so, you know, it took me, you know, a good 15, yeah, yeah 15, 16 years. Uh, before I get to a place where I could try to become one. And that's quite a process as well, but it's a blast. I love teaching these. Oh, courses. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned the instructors. I mean, all the instructors that I've had are just, I mean, it's unbelievable, but the, the stuff they, they're doing and at, at a scale, that's just unbelievable as well. So it's always kind of cool to surround yourself and interact with people like that. And that's kind of the network that you build through the Institute as well. So one thing I was kind of curious about is, um, you know, for those th th that are tuning in, uh, who may not know what CCIM is, can you kind of specify exactly what that is? Sure. So the CCIM Institute is uh, a part of the National Association of Realtors, and it provides education and networking uh, for the commercial real estate industry. You, you go through a certain educational process, and we can dive into that. You work on the portfolio that that Raphael is working on now, where you actually have to substantiate that I've done deals and I have a certain amount of qualifying experience so that I can qualify for the designation. You get through all of that, pass some tests, and, and you get to slap CCIM after your name, uh, which in the commercial real estate industry, especially if you're a newer broker like I was, meant a lot. It gave me a lot of credibility that I wouldn't have had otherwise. I think I did get it in about three or four years. So I'm barely 30 and I'm from a town of 100,000 people in Western Kentucky. None of those things scream uh, credibility, but that designation after my name and, the, and what I had learned going through the process uh, gave me confidence, made me dangerous and, and gave me the credibility that really helped my career in a big way. Absolutely. And and along with the credibility, which I obviously, you know, aspire to, I mean, it does make a difference when you talk to people, when you say you're a CCIM and we'll dive into this a little bit later in the podcast is the practical skill set 
that you develop as a result of the curriculum? Because I've already used the stuff that we talked about in 102. I've used it in 101 and, and other things. I've used it in my business to this day. And I even use it with, you know, tenants. I mean, sometimes when you break out some of the, you know, the the information through site to do business and other things like that, you know, you can kind of wow your clients in saying, oh, wow, th this is a very data driven approach to the process of acquiring real estate. Or if you're representing tenants, being able to determine what type of space would be appropriate for them, given what what their metrics are. So there's a lot of practical, you know, value to the degree as opposed to, you know, you know, as a, from a formal education standpoint, like, you know, for engineering, for example, I studied engineering in college, barely use any of it in my, in my real life. You know, this is like very practical if you're in any type of capacity within the brokerage space or in commercial real estate in general. We, there's people who are brokers and lawyers and bankers, et cetera, that, that go through the curriculum as well. My son's 20 and he's at the University of Kentucky and he called me the other day. Last summer, he interned with me after his freshman year. And the week he came back from school, I was teaching 102 in Nashville. And so I put him in that class and uh, I thought 50-50, maybe this is a good idea. Like if he's in the back jello necking the whole time trying to stay awake, I might kill him. Um, or he might love it. And, and he went through that course, did really well. It was interesting to him. And I was talking to him a week ago. And to your point, Raphael, he was like, look, all these classes I'm taking in college, like I learned more from you in that 102 course in a week than I've learned in any of this stuff in college. And he's, you know, he's studying business management. It's not specific to commercial real estate, but you're right, man. You leave these courses and you have tools and skills to go make money in your business right away. And it's very powerful. Absolutely. So one thing I'm kind of curious about is, you know, again, some of the some of the individuals on the call may be very familiar with with the the CCIM Institute and the and the curriculum offered by it, but others may not be. So if you could kind of give a, just a high level overview of the coursework and you know some of the some of the lessons I guess that you learn in each of the the, the main core classes, and I know there's electives as well that, that that are required as well. But if you could kind of highlight that, and then we'll dive into practical skills that you develop in the in the each of the classes that could be applicable to your business so you can actually make money because that's ultimately what we want to do so so at a high level uh, you take four core courses 101 102 103 104 101 we just held a 101 class a couple weeks ago in louisville it is on financial analysis so how do you take a look at a piece of property and analyze it and decide is this a good investment or not um and, and we can jump more into that 102 is market analysis. So 101, you're looking at a specific property. How do I analyze this? How do I compare it to other opportunities? And 102, you're analyzing a market and you're trying to figure out, are there gaps in demand? How do we quantify supply and demand? How are we able to predict upcoming demand so that we can be ahead of it and make some really good decisions? In my opinion, of course, I teach 102. It's my favorite. I think it's got the secret sauce to how you can actually make the most money in the business overall, uh, but I'm very biased uh, to 102. 103 is user decision analysis. So if you're working with somebody who's trying to figure out, all right, and I'm going through this right now, I'm in a temporary office space and do I go lease something or do I go buy something? That's a user decision analysis. I'm going to, I'm going to use the space. Which one should I do? And you know, my dad's generation believed, this is a, a stereotype, but I hear this a lot from, from folks that are who, 
who are older than me, they're like, renting is bad, you're throwing money away. That is such a fallacy, it's not true. It may not be the best decision for you, but it might be. In fact, most of the Fortune 500 companies, they lease their space, they don't own that real estate. Mm -hmm. So how do you figure out what's best for you? That's kind of what 103 is about. And then 104 is investment analysis. It's a little bit like the follow on to 101. So 101, you're financially learning how to analyze a property. In 104, in investment analysis, what you're doing is you're trying to say, okay, I've bought this property. What's the ideal amount of time to own it? When should I sell it? How should I, you know, you're talking about capital accumulation and, and some more sophisticated, higher level uh, financial analysis tools. So those are the four, you know, at a real high level, the, the four core courses. All of them are four days long. You can take them online. I would suggest that you go somewhere and take them live because you build relationships with the people in those classes that can lead to deals, to fees, to wealth. I mean, there are there is a lot of money to be made just from meeting the people in those classes. So I like live, but not everybody can go live. It's a lot cheaper to take the course online. You can do that in a couple different different ways. Um, there's a self-directed where you know you've got videos and the coursework, and it's you on your own, or you can have instructor-led online. So there's a number of different ways, and uh, luckily the institute had those online versions kind of figured out before COVID hit. Uh, I remember the first two courses I taught were on Zoom during COVID, and there's like 60, 70 people in big classes, because that's all that all that was offered in those in those days. There are um, there are some electives. So there's an ethics class you take, it's pretty short. To take 103, which is user decision analysis, the prerequisite to that course is a negotiations course. It's a one day course, it's really good, uh, super interesting. And you take it, uh, a lot of times you can take it on Monday and then the 103 class will be Tuesday through Friday. So you take, you take five days, you knock out the prerequisite the day before the actual course starts. Same student, same instructor, and it just sort of rolls in, in into it. Um, and then, so that's kind of the coursework. At the end of every one of those courses, you take an exam, you got to pass with a 70, I believe. And then you take a comprehensive exam at the end. Um, so it's big, it's like a final exam. And it's, uh, it's serious. Um, but you know, you do the work and, uh, and you prepare for it. And most people are able to pass that with no problem. In addition to that, what Raphael's working on right now is your portfolio of qualifying experience. And this is what you create to substantiate that I've done the deals that qualify me for this designation. And you have to prove with paperwork uh, and substantiate your material involvement. So, you know, things like providing uh, the listing agreement with your name on it, uh, the closing statement with your name on it, uh, and then you provide somewhat of a narrative on on the skills that you used um, to get this deal done. And you show, okay, this, this is what I use from 101. And you just basically prove that not only did I learn this stuff, but I'm putting it into practice. It's producing deals for me. Therefore, I qualify for the designation. It's a lot of work. If you're going to start that process, by the way, and Rafael, I don't know if you did this or not, but it's good to collect 
all that paperwork as you go, as opposed to having to go back a couple years and find it all, especially if you move companies. Because can you imagine going to your previous broker who you may not have a good relationship with anymore and say, hey, look, can I get copies of these uh, closing statements with my name on it so I can get my designation? They may not be very excited about helping you out. So it's good to keep that stuff uh, as you go. But once you submit your portfolio of qualifying experience, and Rafael, you're probably more up on this, but I, I think you either have to do 10 deals that have a value of $10 million. Is that yeah, correct? I think it's three. If, if you do three deals, they have to have a value of 30 million. If you do 10 deals, they have to have a value of 10 million. And then if you get over 20, there's no dollar threshold that you have yeah. to hit. I mean, you have a 5,000, um, you know, $5,000 fee on a little lease, mm -hmm. you know, that, that could count. You could have 20 of those mm -hmm. and, and you'd qualify. So it's either a couple really big deals, 10 deals uh, that equal $10 million in property value or um, 20 transactions, regardless of the size of them. Uh, submit your portfolio, it gets approved or they send it back to you and say, hey, you need to fix this stuff or provide a little bit more information. <coughs> Excuse me. And then you're able to sit for the comprehensive exam, which is held twice a, twice a year. This year it's being held in Boston in April and in Seattle in October, I believe. And most of the time you'll take uh, a course review the two days before the exam that counts as an elective. I think you have to have three electives by the time uh, you sit for the test. And then you take the test that night after you pass, we have a big pinning ceremony. We make a really big deal out of it in your local chapter. Uh, you know, whoever is there will take you out to dinner that night. And uh, it's a great experience. When I, when I sat for my test, it was in San Antonio. And my dad's a CCIM, which is why he made me uh, go right into it. So my parents came to San Antonio and he actually pinned me during the pinning ceremony, uh, which was really cool. Um, so it was just an all around great experience, but that's kind of a, at a high level, like what's it take to get your designation? That's, that's it at a high level. Makes sense. Yeah. And I'll reiterate what, uh, you know, Bo said about making sure you keep up to date on all the different documents you need, because if you do get it, I think in the first five years, there's additional, you know, documents you have to provide and it's called a traditional portfolio versus like a streamlined. If you've been in the business longer, they, they don't need as much documentation for you to share. Uh, but for, for the traditional portfolio, like, you know, if you have to go back a couple of years, which I've had to do with a couple of these transactions, I'm just like, oh my gosh, trying to filter through and get stuff done. So I would encourage you guys to try to, you know, keep very clear documentation that you on each transaction you do and keep it in like a shared drive. That's what I did. Uh, once I, once I started taking the curriculum, maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago, uh, I've started doing that. And so now, you know, there's a couple transactions I have to get the information for, but for the most part, it's already ready to go. So that's one of the hardest parts of the process, I would say, uh, at least that's from my experience thus far. Um, and so I would encourage you guys to be, just be very detailed as far as making sure you keep all the, the records you need to keep. So all my procrastinator friends, just suspend your natural procrastination and keep up with it as you go. You will thank us later. If you Absolutely. Do yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm having to deal with it right now with some of them. So just take it from me. Um, so obviously that's a very comprehensive uh, overview of the different classes you're, you're required to take for the CCIM designation. Now, 
what I'd like to do is talk about the practical skills that you gain, because the reason why you take it is not just to have the designation. Obviously, that's nice to have. And you have that, you know, those the, the, number, the letters next to your name helps with legitimacy. But in reality, the reason why you take these courses is to gain skills that you can then go apply to make money. I mean, that's that, that's the reason I'm taking them. I mean, I feel like that's the main reason you should be considering taking it. So as far as practical skills, like what what do you think are maybe the top three skills that you've learned through the curriculum that you would recommend or that you that helped you make money in your business? Great question. Uh, so can I tell a story to kind of frame this answer? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So uh, a couple weeks ago, we're having the 101 course. Uh, I don't teach 101 yet, but I was auditing it so that I can start to teach it. So one of my good buddies uh, out of South Carolina, George Wilson, was teaching the course. And we had a really good size group in there. It was about 24 people, which is a big, big class for Louisville. And at one point, we're, we're teaching things like cap rate, net present value, cash on cash, a return, internal rate of return, those kind of things. And I take a call from a client of mine who's looking at an investment property that we have listed. So I step out for a minute and I'm talking to this doctor. Anybody on here a doctor? I know I can't really see your faces, but uh, I'm going to hope not. Doctors tend to understand that they're the smartest person in the room. Uh, especially in their area of expertise, but sometimes when they're not in their area of expertise, they think they understand some things that they, they might not. So this guy on the phone, he's a doctor. He tells me, says, I'm going to pass on this deal. I'm looking for a higher return. Now, when I hear a phrase like that, I am uh, <laughs> a Viva. I see your, I see your comment. Um, when I hear somebody say I'm looking for a higher return, my ears perk up because when somebody says return, you have no clue what they're talking about. Zero. You do not know what they mean when they say return. Now, uh, in the chat box, for those of you who are online, I'd be interested in your answer to this question. What do you think he meant when he said I'm looking for a higher return? What do you think? What metric do you think he was talking about? I'll give you just a second to throw it in, throw in your answers. Uh, matter of fact, Raphael doesn't know this, but he's going to send the, the winner a prize. You get this answer right, <laughs> he's going to send the winner a prize. I don't know what it is, but um, ROI, that IRR, no, these are way too sophisticated answers. Um, cap rate, there it is. Philip Cox is the big winner. Most of the time, when you're talking to people, unless they have a certain level of sophistication, when they say return, all they're thinking about is cap rate. The cap rate on this deal is 7.53%. And it is not a return. Cap rate is not a return. All it tells you is what is the um, relationship between the net operating income and the value of the asset. You divide it, you get the cap rate, right? That's all it tells you. If I buy this, What's the net operating income? If I buy this for X, what's the net operating income going to be for me in the first year that I own it? That's all it tells you. Now, if you don't finance the deal, here's question number two. What does the cap rate equal? If you do not finance the deal, what is the cap rate equal to? What do you think? I'll give you about 
15 seconds to infinity rent roll. No. Zero percent. No. If you don't finance the deal, you pay all cash. It certainly has a cap rate. In this case, the if you don't finance the deal, the cash flow is equal to, although you're really close, to the cash on cash return. If it's an all cash deal, the cap rate is the cash on cash return. Cash on cash return is how many dollars do I have in the deal? And then how many dollars do I get out of that deal in the first year? That's all cash on cash tells you. It's just looking at the first year. So if you're talking to somebody about an investment deal and they're talking about return, they're probably talking about the cap rate. They might be talking about cash on cash return. Either way, they're just looking at a metric that describes the first year. And if you're going to own that for more than a year, would you not want some type of metric that'll tell you what's my actual return over a period of time that factors in growth and other things that's what internal rate of return is internal rate of return says this when do i put my money in the deal how much money do i put in the deal what money do i get out of the deal and when do i get that money out it factors in growth over time it factors in the reversion at the end of the deal reversion just means when i sell it what do i get back that's reversion. So internal rate of return is a much more sophisticated metric. It's much more representative of the value you get out of the deal because it looks at your return over a period of time. If you have rent bumps, it factors that in. Um, all kinds of things. You can have negative cash flows. It can handle that. Uh, I'm looking at a deal right now where I'm going to buy an office building. I'm going to move my office in it. It's got extra space. So, Raphael, like we've talked before, I'm going to turn that into individual office rentals. And the first year I'm projecting, I'm going to have a negative cash flow there. Well, that means my cash on cash return is negative. That means my cap rate on the deal is negative. It means I'd never do the deal if I just looked at those two things. However, if you look at your two cash flow, your three cash flow, your four cash flow, your five cash flow, and what I would sell it with a projected sale at the end of five years, looking at like a 30% return. Now, when I say return, I'm talking about internal rate of return. Am I going to do that deal? Heck yeah, I'm doing that deal. I'm going to buy that office building. I'm going to renovate it. I'm going to have these extra offices for rent. And if my projections are correct, it'll be a really good deal for us. But if I just looked at cap rate, if I just looked at cash on cash return for year one, I wouldn't do this deal. There's no way. And so 101 really dives into how do you analyze a deal? How do you do it in a sophisticated way that factors in growth over time? And it also looks at this before and after cash flow and before and after debt. So you learn how to analyze a property before cash flow without debt. So if I just pay all cash for it, what's this deal look like for me? If I leverage it, and put some debt on the deal. Now, what's it look like to me? And then what do those two scenarios look like before and after tax? So you talk a lot about tax depreciation. And, and if you haven't figured it out by now, commercial real estate, we're the only industry, we're the only investment that gets to depreciate our assets. 
You want to go buy stocks? You don't get to depreciate those. You want to go buy a really like expensive painting that'll appreciate over time. Do you get to depreciate that asset? You do not. But if you buy commercial real estate, you get to depreciate that asset, which means my internal rate of return factors in depreciation. It factors in if I put debt on the deal or not. Uh, and it gives me a real true sense that over the time that I own this asset, however many years it is, I have a certain amount of my own dollars in that deal. How hard did those dollars work for me while they were in the deal? That's what internal rate of return tells you. And it's a great way to compare investment options. That's what 101's about. And so you leave 101 and you can take a look at a piece of property and you can figure out the internal rate of return. You also get to know this really cool thing um, called net present value, NPV. What you can do with NPV is once you know what dollars you're putting in the deal, when you're putting them in, and once you know what return you're getting in dollars and when you're getting those dollars back, you can calculate the net present value and you might have a requirement from a client or you might have your personal investment um, requirement that says, let's just pick a number. I need to make an 11% internal rate of return or I'm not interested in this deal. You do all the analysis and you've got a 10.5% internal rate of return. You're like, man, it doesn't meet my requirement. It doesn't meet my um, in investor, my client's requirement. You can plug in the desired return at 11 in a net present value calculation. And what it spits out is, all right, you need this at 11. It's at a 10 and a half. This is how much less you need to pay for the asset for you to get your 11. It's a great deal. I mean, that's a great tool. And here's a quick story. I need to talk faster. <laughs> Last story on one-on-one, we'll move to these other classes. We did an investment deal, a syndication, where we bought a strip center. It was off-market deal, uh, but one of my guys was the leasing agent on the deal, so we kind of had an inside track on it. All of a sudden, though, I had two other people who were bidding on this deal. I had competition. I hate competition. I'd much rather buy something without anybody knowing that it's even for sale. But now I'm in competition, and I do the analysis on what I think I'd like to pay for it, and I see that if I do this deal for this price, I think I can make it work worth this over a certain period of years. And, and if I can do that, I can provide my investors in the deal with a near 20% internal rate of return. And if I can tell them, hey, you invest with me on this deal, I can give you a 20% internal rate of return. I know I've got no problem raising the money that I need to do the deal. However, now I'm in competition. So I call a couple of my key investors and I say, look, looking at this deal, I think you'll like it. Uh, at, at a certain price, I thought I could get it. I'd be able to offer you a 20% internal rate of return. However, now we've got competition. I feel like I need to pay a little bit more. Would you be okay with 17% instead of 20? They all said, yes. I plugged 17% into the net present value calculation instead of 20. And it told me that I could pay more. So I increased my offer fairly substantially and I won the deal. And that's been a really good deal for us because I ran that NPV calculation and I never would have known that thing even existed if I'd never taken CC, uh, CI 101. So that's a little bit uh, out of 101. 
quickly with 102, that's market analysis. Now, Raphael, when we were in that class in September, Ford announced that they were going to drop 5,000 jobs in a new battery plant in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. Now, I don't know where our um, the folks who are with us today, I don't know where they're from, okay? But Louisville, Kentucky is about 40 miles north of Elizabethtown, Kentucky. Elizabethtown, Kentucky is in Hardin County, population about 113,000. And all of a sudden, they're going to get 5,000 new jobs. What you can do with 102 when that is done is this kind of analysis. So get your calculators out. We'll do this real quickly. 5,000 new jobs. These are basic jobs. I'm not going to go into what the difference between basic and non-basic is, but basic throws off non-basic jobs. So if you get new basic jobs in your community, it's going to create non-basic jobs. And there is um, a ratio that each community has as to how many basic jobs there are to non-basic jobs. In Elizabethtown, Kentucky, I looked this up uh, before the call today, it's 5.74. What that means, economic base multiplier, that means for every one basic job, there are 4.74 non-basic jobs. So 5,000 new jobs in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, you multiply that times 5.74, that means there's going to be 28,700 new jobs total. Those 5,000 basic jobs become 28,700 new non-basic jobs. Now, next question for the chat box. What one thing, it's a four-letter word, what one thing drives demand for commercial real estate? More than anything else, what one thing is it? jobs. Michael nailed it. It's jobs. So Elizabethtown, Kentucky has 113,000 people and it's about to get 28,700 new jobs. That's huge. Now, the next thing you go, you're trying to figure out demand and make some money with this, 28,700 new jobs. They have 2.57 people for every job in Elizabethtown in this Hardin County area. So you multiply 28,700 times 2.57, that's the population to employment ratio, PER. That means they're gonna have 73,759 new people five years from now, or about four years from now, now, and currently, in a community that only has 113,000 people in the first place. They're gonna get pretty close to 200,000 people. Can you see how that drives demand? Now here's the next thing you do. Let's just think apartments here. If there's going to be 73,000 plus people, and let's just, let's say we've overcooked it by like, let's just say 45,000 people. Let's be conservative here. We need to know how many people per household. So let's say 45,000 new people. In Elizabethtown, the average household size is 2.51. So you'll take this 45,000 uh, new people, you divide it by 2.51, that gives us 17,928 new households are coming to Elizabethtown. Households need housing units. 17,000 new households coming to Elizabethtown. Do you think they have that many houses and apartments right now to handle that kind of demand? They do not. So if you're an apartment developer, the next thing you wanna know is, well, in Elizabethtown, how many people buy versus rent? And I looked that up earlier. 
using Site to Do Business with this, which is this awesome demographic tool that is a part of the CCIM uh, tool set that you get. Um, Thirty-three percent of people rent. So you take this seventeen thousand nine hundred new housing units. You divide that by thirty-three percent. That's fifth. Oh, you, mul you multiply it by thirty-three percent. Yep. So they need another fifty-six hundred apartments in Elizabethtown. Four years from now, fifty. That's a ton for a community this size. So, you know what one of my really good buddies who's an apartment developer is doing? He's building 300 unit apartment complex in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. Why? Because this demand is coming and you leave 102 being able to predict where the demand is going to happen and you can perform uh, a gap analysis like I just did on apartments. It you you do it a little bit different when you do retail or industrial or an office, but you leave with the tools to perform a gap analysis after you've predicted demand. And if you know that stuff before everybody else, man, you can make some money with that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you can apply, you, and then you can apply that knowledge to then the, the the purchase process, which again, as you start predicting this type of stuff, is pretty pretty powerful. So now, yes or no, answer in the <laughs> chat box. If you're me and you're a self-storage guy, might you be looking for land to do a self-storage development in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, which is an hour and a half away from me? Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. Like, that's the guy. Like, I know the demand is coming in Elizabethtown. And so I can go there and say, look, I can pay this for this land. I know what it costs me to develop a self-storage facility. I know what the rents are because I did a comparative market analysis on the and I can figure all of that up, figure all of that out, and to make a really smart, informed decision based on coming demand. It's so powerful. Well, cool. Go ahead. Yeah, you, you, if you want to touch on briefly, maybe the other two briefly, and then we can open up to Q and A because I want to make sure we have enough time for people to to ask yes, questions sure. as well. The so 103 is all about user decision analysis. This is not my cup of tea. I don't do a lot of this work in the brokerage world, and I don't teach 103, but it has a lot to do with leasing. And so you leave with tools on how to analyze lease opportunities, how to figure out, should I buy, should I lease? Um, and if, if, you're, if your business serves tenants and landlords, it's a really great tool set that can take your value up a level with the people who you serve. Um, 104, uh, big thing there is like, okay, I've bought it. Now what? How long should I keep it? Um, and it, it's, um, it's, it's a deeper level. It's uh, very sophisticated. You come out of there with some tools that can say, okay, um, I'm much better off if I sell it four years on this particular asset, 1031 it into the next deal. Or what if I just take the money out? Um, and spend it. What if I take the money out and invest it in the stock market? You can compare those different variables and help your clients or yourself decide, okay, when should I sell? And what should I do with that money after I've sold? Which scenario will build the greatest wealth for me? Um, 
and it's not gut feel it's all data driven and it makes you look incredibly incredibly smart uh, to your client so that's briefly 103 104 i'm not in those like i don't teach those um, but that's what you get out of those courses Awesome. I think that was a great overview. And I'm sure it provided a lot of context to people regarding why take the classes. Cause I feel like a lot of times when you hear people talk about some of these designations and everything else, um, you don't really see the practical reason for taking something. I know when I took coursework in, in college, for example, a lot of times I was taking these courses that I'm like, why in the world? I'm never going to be able to use this. But again, I think it's very, very important for us to clarify that this is practical and you're going to use it and I, for those of you guys who are in the brokerage space, a lot of people who are in the brokerage space also want to get in the investment space or development space. And these type of skill sets are what's going to enable you to actually take that next jump. So, And um, by the way, I've taught 102 twice now in Bentonville, Arkansas. Do you know why we teach it in Bentonville, Arkansas? Walmart. Because all the Walmart real estate guys get their designation. I mean, it, it's as powerful it is as powerful for Walmart as it is for small town Kentucky broker guy, me. Uh, it's just very, like you said, very practical, very useful. You're able to implement it immediately and make some money. Definitely. Well, I wanted to give us enough time to ask questions. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, open it up for Q&A. So if you guys are listening to this on Zoom call, please go ahead and uh, put something in the chat box. I'll go ahead and read it out so people can you know, know what, just to be able to read it. And also, if you guys are on Zoom, on live on LinkedIn, uh, feel free to type away in the chat box as well. I know Bo would be willing and, and very happy to answer any questions you guys may have. So feel free to type away. In the meantime, if you could talk maybe a little bit about, you know, the CCIM network as well, I think that'd be kind of helpful. Uh, have Because you're on, are you, is the reason you're going to Chicago partly because you're meeting for in CCIM or is it separate? This is a different deal. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, I'm going up there for strategic coach, which is an entrepreneurial mm -hmm. coaching program. But um, the CCI network, uh, well, I'll tell you this, Western Kentucky. So just think Western, uh, West of Louisville. There are none of the national companies. There's no CBRE, there's no JLL, there's no Cushman Wakefield, there's no Marcus and Milchap. So when they have a requirement in Western Kentucky, I promise you, they don't want to make the trip. And you know what they do? They look for a CCIM in the area who can help them out. So we do a lot of business co-brokering deals, being the boots on the ground with the national companies. Like just last year, we've done deals with NAI, Cushman Wakefield, CBRE, and JLL. All in the same year, multiple deals with most of them. Um, and it's that CCI network. There's also all the relationships I've built from the courses that I'm in. I taught two NFL players in Chicago last year, 102, one of whom is best friends with an, an all pro player who took a look at one of my investment deals. He ended up passing, which was a bummer, but I thought I was going to have a big name in one of my deals. So there's a lot of there's a lot of just that kind of networking that goes along. The The previous uh, CCIM chapter president, his name's Woodford Hoagland, he's in Louisville. He told a story um, that when he took 101, he and his, uh, he got really, really close to three other guys and they've done over a hundred million dollars worth of deals with each other. 
in the last, I don't know, maybe it's been 10 years or something. Those are big numbers. The network is, is unbelievable. And if you're going to get your designation, think about this a little bit more than just, it's, it's more than just your designation, like get involved with your local chapter. Those are fantastic relationships that lead to business um, and a lot of friendships. Like, look, uh, Raphael and I have never done a deal together, um, but we have a friendship now. Uh, he's serving on the Kentucky uh, CCM chapter board with me this year, uh, which I appreciate. Uh, we're able to help each other out in ways like this, and we're able to lean on each other. Like, I don't know Louisville like he does, but I have opportunities there sometimes. He's a resource for me, and likewise, me for him. The network, um, you know, you stay for the education or you start with the education. You stay for the people in the network. It's it's a fantastic, and it makes you more of a resource for your clients. Um, so anyway, it's, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. So we have a question actually, Desmond. Hey, Desmond, how's it going? He said, what are uh, the portfolio of qualifying experience requirements? Example, duplexes, triplexes, do they count? Single family? I'll tell you, it does not. It has to actually be a considered a commercial transaction, which if it's multifamily requires above four. So you have to go five and up, uh, five units and up in order to qualify if it's a multifamily property. And then leasing, leasing does count. So if you're leasing like a even if it's like a, I've done one of the qualifying transactions I had was like 1100 square foot retail space, you know, but it was a retail space that I helped someone lease for a small international grocery store that counts. So yep. it, this, the size doesn't necessarily matter, but it has to be a commercial transaction. Yeah. And you can go on the CCIM.com website mm -hmm. uh, and you'll be able to find a PDF that really details what counts, what mm -hmm. doesn't, what's it take. Uh, to get your designation. All that information is there. You'll have to hunt for it a little bit, but um, just click under the education tab. Um, but Raphael's right. Uh, those yeah. smaller, uh, those are just considered residential transactions. So you need five units and above on the multifamily side for it to count as commercial. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Consulting. Um, yeah. What about consulting? Consulting can work. Okay. So, um, you know, appraisers get their CCIM designation, corporate executives get their CCIM designation, bankers get their CCIM designation. They're not actually brokering deals. So yeah, consulting can work. What you have to do is you have to show and demonstrate that you put CCIM skills into practice and that you had a material participation in the deal. Um, and you can do that. All right. But now you're not talking about listing agreements and closing statements. You have different things that you have to provide to substantiate that you had a material involvement in the deal, but consulting can absolutely help. It can, you can do that with consulting. Definitely. You can also do a single family portfolio. That would count. Um, so one time I helped a woman sell 20 single family rentals and two fourplexes as a portfolio. That would count, right? But if you piecemealed them off one at a time, none of them would have counted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and, and I, that's that's a good point. So I've sold I sold an eightplex, which was really two fourplexes on the same. They were they were right next to each other, but since they were deeded at the same time and they were to the same uh, transaction essentially, and there was a commercial loan involved and everything else, I mean that was kind of how we um, justified it. So, yep. Good question.
checking on LinkedIn as well. Uh, feel free to type away in the chat box, guys. Um, is there a question that you wish that I would have asked you that you think could have been pertinent to the discussion? Kind of put it on you now. <laughs> oh, you mean me? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought you were talking to them. No, no, I was I was going to put it on you. I mean, I was waiting for people to type away if they, if they had any other additional questions, but I'll ask you that question. No, I don't think. Well, here's a question for you that I'm interested in is what made you want to get the designation? So the reason why I uh, wanted to get the designation is because my aspirations long-term are to get into investment and development, et cetera. And I don't have a background in real estate. I come from an engineering background. I studied industrial engineering and economics in college, got into the software development space. I did that for five years. And then I jumped into real estate, not really knowing a whole lot about anything. And so, you know, my, my, Paul, my uh, broker, Paul Grisanti was a CCIM. And he had mentioned about some of the curriculum involved with that. And it just kind of piqued my interest. And I said, well, let me just go ahead and take 101 because it's coming to Louisville. And that was back in 2021, I want to say. Maybe 21 or 20. I can't remember exactly when. But uh, but I took 101 and I was like, this is very, very valuable information. And then I just kind of every time uh, the course came, I took it. And, it, you know, I did whatever I had to do to pay for the course. I just, you know, got it done. So. Here's a couple other things I would I would mention that I think would be valuable to your listeners here. Mm -hmm. One is most chapters have scholarships that you mm -hmm. can apply for. So if you're like Raphael and you're early in your career and paying fifteen hundred dollars for a week long course where you might have to travel to get to it, that seems onerous. There are chapter scholarships like the Kentucky chapter has three or four scholarships. They all basically pay for one course. Mm -hmm. The tuition on one course you need well at least in kentucky you need to be a member of the chapter which is something you ought to do anyway uh, just to build relationships with people who are in your market that you can do deals with um, the other thing i would do is if you just think okay what's my first next step if i want to start heading down this road what's the first thing i should do after joining like after joining the chapter become a ccim candidate you can take courses without becoming a CCIM candidate, but if you're going to take more than one course, it makes financial sense to become a CCIM candidate and you get access to the site to do business, um, which we hadn't talked a lot about. But when I say I looked things up earlier today when we were doing our Elizabethtown example, all of that looking up stuff was site to do business. It's an unbelievable tool that I use all the time. Uh, my clients love it. They use me as a resource because I have access to it. Um, and it, it will blow your mind what you can do with the data you can get uh, from site to do business. Once you're a candidate, you have access to that and a number of other tools that the CCIM tech platform provides for you. It's very valuable. Um, so join the chapter, join uh, the Institute by becoming a candidate. And then the next thing I would do is take 101 or 102. You can start with either one. You don't need a prerequisite to do either ones. Um, and it doesn't matter. Start with 101 or 102. Those are your first three steps if you want to start down this path. Yeah. 
no, I couldn't agree more. And and, and I will say I, I did I did get one of the scholarships for the the curriculum. So they are out there. You can apply for them if you guys are located. I know there's people tuning in from Colorado, from the East Coast, all over. And so your local chapter will likely have those scholarship opportunities. Just inquire about them with your local chapter. And then when they come available, just apply. You know, the first time I didn't get it, but the second time I got it. So it's one of those things where just keep applying, keep applying, keep applying. Put your name out there and eventually you'll you'll if you if you if you're requisite if you have the requisite you know curriculum and everything else they'll they'll you'll likely get it so okay well it looks like we got all the questions answered which is awesome oh one one last uh question can you speak to ccim internationally i am in canada i know the education is fairly universal the cre but what about the networking outside the united states great question yeah i'm probably not the best person at to ask this. However, um, we have a handful of instructors that are Canadian that live in Canada that teach up there. Um, you know, in, in the United States instructors go up into Canada and, and teach there. Um, you know, I've just been an instructor for a couple of years, so I've never had the opportunity, but there's courses there. I know there are some things that are done differently. Canada versus the United States, like mortgages are done a little bit differently. Um, and the courses handle that. Um, but generally, like how you figure out internal rate of return, all that stuff's kind of universal. There are, um, we do have courses that have been um, held in Poland, Russia, China, Thailand, um, and other places that I'm not thinking of right across, uh, right off the top of my head. But, but it is an international designation. Um, and Canada is the easy one, right? Um, but there are courses that are held up there, and um, and you shouldn't have any issue getting the designation if you're in Canada. Awesome. Well, Bo, thank you so much for your time. I know you're extremely busy, and you're you're actually going to be hopping in your car in about thirty minutes to head up to Chicago. So we greatly appreciate your time. Uh, uh, if people want to learn more about you or maybe even get in contact with you uh, for more information, how can they, how can they do so? Yeah. Best way is uh, probably our website, which is baroncommercial.com. That's B-A-R-R-O-N commercial.com. Um, my email is bo at wgbaron.com. You can reach out to me there. And um, you know, my number's 270-926-1101 and I'm extension 170. So if I can be a resource or a help to any of you, don't don't hesitate to reach out. Awesome. Yeah. And for those of you guys who are tuning in via YouTube or later on via podcast, this will be in the description. So if you guys are doing that, go ahead in the description. You can access all that information. So, Bo, thanks again so much for stopping by. We greatly appreciate your time. Thank you all who tuned in via LinkedIn and also here on the Zoom call. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. We do this every other week. So our next one's actually going to be our year-end overview. So we're looking forward to seeing you all next time and we'll see you then we'll see you guys. All right. Ciao.